0: As we are making our way through the passages in Isaiah, in which he, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, told of the good news that God was bringing to Israel, we come tonight to Isaiah chapter nine. And we considered this morning, in this morning's sermon, the first two verses really of chapter nine. And uh, we come tonight to uh, verse 6. Verse 6, which is our assigned reading or assigned text for tonight's meditation. In verse 6 of chapter 9, we read For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder. And his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And so uh, in verse 6, we have the word for. And that tells us that verse 6 is given to explain something that has preceded it, and it is helpful if you go back to verses 2 and 3 to understand what the announcement in verse 6 is explaining. In verse 3 we have the mention made that a great light has come and has shown. And that God has multiplied the nation. And it says, You have increased its joy. They rejoice before you, as with joy at the harvest, as they, were, as they are glad when they divide the spoil. There's great rejoicing. And the question is, why? What is the rejoicing all about? He compares the rejoicing to the kind of gladness that was experienced when the harvest was brought in. When the harvest is brought in at the end of the season, the people are filled with celebration for all of the months of labor. has now borne fruit in the harvest. And in the enjoyment of the spoils of war an army having won a great victory also has access to that which the enemy which has been defeated has left behind and it is in time of great enrichment and so both the image of the harvest and the image of the enjoyment of the spoils of war indicate a time of great increase, a great in-gathering and an increase. And so we see then that uh, the, there is great joy in Israel. And then in verses 4 and 5, we're told that the reason for this as well is that the foreign yoke of dominion has been broken. The rod of the oppressor of Israel Has been broken and all of the garments of war, verse 5 every boot of the trampling warrior in battle tumult and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. The idea being that hostilities and warfare have come to an end and all of the garments. And all of the weapons, all of the means of conducting it are now destroyed. Imagine a time of such peace. Would it not be a time of joy? In verse 6, we are told another reason for the joy. For to us a child is born. To us a son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulder and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father and Prince of Peace. And so we notice that the gift that is given to Israel, that is the cause of her peace, is the birth of a child. In contrast to the military might of the nation of Assyria, which posed a great threat to Jerusalem at this time. God places before the minds of his people a child that is born. This child will bring deliverance. This child will bring a state of peace and the cessation of hostility. And it is the child that is emphasized, it is first in the original language. And this child is a gift. It is given by God to his people. But the second thing we notice about this is that this child is given authority. He is the one who has the government upon his shoulder. And his he also has a name. And so this one is a royal person. He is the heir of the promises made to David. And that root promise of a son that would come from the body of David. And the one who would come from your body, God said to David, I will establish his kingdom and he shall build a house for my name and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. So this child that is announced Is a child who is a king. But we notice as well in verse 6 that he is given a fourfold name. The name Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. To describe the name of God is to describe his essence, his substance, and what he is. It is not to say that this child will be called by these names as he lives his life, but it is to say that the Bible describes him using these names. And they are names that convey that he is not only a child who is born in an ordinary way, but he is unusual in that he is God as well. It indicates the fact that he is not only man, but he is God. I don't have time in our brief time that we have tonight to go into all of the that could be said about these names. But we could just note briefly that he is called by the name Wonderful Counselor. For him to be called Wonderful Counselor is to know that he is the one in whom is contained all wisdom, And he speaks the truth, and he speaks wisdom and the counsel of God. He is called Mighty God. That is, he is powerful. He has the power of God. And the work that he does, he does in the strength of God. And it is necessary for him who is truly man if he is to do the work that is given to him to do, that he do it with all of that value and all of that power that comes from his Godhead. He is God, and therefore what he does and what he accomplishes is infinite in value. He is called the Everlasting Father. He is the one who is the the shepherd of his people. He cares for and provides for Israel. He acts as a father would provide in his family. He cares about his children. He is tenderhearted toward them, and he comes to their rescue and saves them from their distress. That is what a father does, and it is what God does. This one, this child, who will have this name, he is an everlasting father to his people. He guided the children of Israel. He brought them out of Egypt. He led them through the wilderness, and he led them into the land of Canaan, their inheritance. But it is the title, Prince of Peace, that I wish to have us consider most tonight. The title, Prince of Peace, is... The climactic title, it is the one that is mentioned at the end. He is the Prince of Peace. And so this is a bit baffling to those who are looking for peace in a this-world political sense. To the superficial observer, Jesus in his life did not break the power of Rome, Rather, it would seem as though Rome broke him. And so, he did not establish the golden days of David and Solomon. You remember that Solomon lived in great wealth and splendor. And Solomon was blessed with a reign of peace in which all of the nations around Israel were subjected to her. And it is this that this political sense of the peace that so many of the people of Israel uh, looked for this. And so it would seem to the superficial observer that Jesus did not accomplish a peace, and yet peace is here mentioned, that it is his signal characteristic. He is the Prince of Peace. And the angels sing to the shepherds, glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, and on earth peace. So he is the one who is the light, as we saw this morning. And that light not only is a light that illumines and gives us the knowledge of the glory of God, as we saw this morning, not only does it come to us from outside, and it, it, is, it, it takes us beyond our natural reason. Not only is he the source of all knowledge, and not only is it the case that he dwells with his people and reveals the glory of God, but what we learn here is that he accomplishes a peace. He accomplishes a moral peace. And this is what I would say about this. All sources, all all human conflict, whether it be between us as individuals or human conflict between nations, originate in the heart of man, and the heart of man being guilty for sin. If you think about the history of the nation of Israel, the history of the nation of Israel is a history of unfaithfulness to God and the accumulation of punishments that God brought upon her. And one of the things that we saw is that uh, God pronounced in the prophet Isaiah that he now announces that, Isaiah, that that the Israel's guilt has been paid. Her iniquity has been paid. And it is the problem, the moral problem of the guilty conscience that Jesus Christ came to solve first. And I would say this, he also came to bring a political peace, but that comes at his next coming. But in his first coming, he came as a babe in order that he might have a body, that he might as a priest, offer a sacrifice to God. And he deals with our moral guilt before God for the sins that we have committed against him. And so he is the source not only of revelation, that is, of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ, he is the source, he is the light that brings freedom from guilt. And it is this, it is this, that I wish for us to consider tonight. And to explain this, the Apostle Paul uh, is helpful to us. Paul wrote these words. God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not counting not imputing their trespasses to him. God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself. I think if you were to ask most people, they might not know what that means. What do you mean reconciling the world to himself? Is the world at odds with God? Is God at odds with the world? Am I at odds with God? And here this statement by Paul would say that God is in Christ reconciling the world to himself by not imputing their trespasses to them. That is, by removing the cause of the separation between God and man. The separation has occurred because of trespasses. You remove the trespasses and the guilt of trespasses and you remove the cause, the legal cause, and the cause, because of justice, that brings about the separation. Paul says also in Colossians, It pleased the Father that in him all the fullness of, should dwell, and by him to reconcile all things to, him, to himself by him, that is by Christ, whether things on earth or things in heaven. Now get this. Having be, having made Peace through the blood of the cross. How did Jesus make peace? He made peace by as mighty God, the one who is both mighty God and man, representing mankind, representing human flesh, acting in their place. He paid the penalty and the debt to justice that must be paid for God to be reconciled to the world. Here we see that it is the blood of the cross that Jesus shed when he offered not another sacrifice but his very own life, when he offered himself on the cross as a priest and also the victim as both priest and victim, he offered himself as a sacrifice to the justice of God and the debt to sin and the, and the debt to justice is fully paid. And therefore, God and man can be reconciled. One more verse. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, the Apostle Paul says, we have you want to finish it peace with God being justified by faith we have peace with God you see how the whole of the message of the New Testament is about peace he is indeed the Prince of peace but don't look for peace in a political sense don't go join a political party Join yourself instead to the Lord Jesus Christ and it will have a transforming effect not so much on on other people, but on you. On you. You will be justified, Paul says. We have been justified by faith. What does that mean? It means that he pardons your sins. It means that he accepts you as righteous in his sight. That he does not look upon you as one who is to be condemned because of your sin. But as far as the east is from the west, he's removed your sins from you. And he looks upon you as righteous in his sight. For the righteousness of Christ has been put to your account. And he sees not you and your sin, but he sees Jesus Christ and his righteousness. And it is imputed to you and it is given to you as a free gift. It is a gift and it is why we rejoice in the birth of a baby. It is why we say that Jesus Christ himself is a gift to us. He is freely given. You can't earn it. You can't deserve it. There is nothing that you can do to make this happen for you. All you can do is do what you will do tomorrow. Is reach out, take the gift, and say thank you. And be grateful. Be grateful to God that he has given such a child, such a one, who is your Savior. In each of these statements of the Apostle Paul, the peace that is established is a peace with God. And it is that blood of Christ which is shed for us on the cross that means that your conscience can be set free. Think about all the sins that you have ever committed. You can't even begin to count them. You can't begin to even acknowledge them or know them. If we were to compile them, they would be a book that would travel the lengths and the miles of the earth itself. When we stand before a righteous and holy God, what are we to do? What are we to do in the light of the weight and the multitude of our sins, the sins that we have committed against his holiness? There's nothing that we can do It is only that which Christ has done for you because he is God and he is man. And he, by his death, by the shedding of his blood, has paid the price that you deserve. You can't pay it. And so one of the things we have to learn in life is for for us to stop trying to make atonement for our own sins and to receive the free gift of eternal life that God gives to us in Christ. It is not peace between warring nations that comes first. It is peace between a troubled conscience in God. May we notice that these words require of us as well that we have faith in Jesus Christ, that we believe that what he has done, he has done for us. Notice this, verse 6. For to us. To you, to me. For to us a child is born. Faith says, yes. It was for me. I hear the promise of God. I hear God say to me, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. Believe while you have the light. Believe in the light and you will have eternal life. I hear that, but what do I do with what I hear? What we are to do is to acknowledge that we are guilty. To repent of our sins and turn from them, and believe what Christ has done for us. And place all of your confidence, all of your hope, not on anything that you can do to make up, not any good works that you may do, but in Jesus Christ, in Jesus Christ alone. My faith then looks to the promise, to the gift that God has given. To the Lord Jesus Christ, he is God's gift given, to me see it's, it's one thing when we talk about these things in general and it's another thing when we say yes he is God's gift given to me faith sees Jesus this way it sees his death and it sees there the complete satisfaction to God for my sin what is left for us to do but to receive that free gift, have you done that? Will you do it? When you give a gift tonight or tomorrow, it might be that there is some gift that you give that is of some serious cost to you. What would you think if you gave such a costly gift and it was refused? What does the Bible say happened when God gave his son, he came to his own and his own people did not receive him. He came to all who sit in pews, who hear about him, who are known to be his people. He came to his own and they didn't even recognize him or receive him. But here's the promise. To all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become the children of God. Do that. Do that tonight, and do it for the rest of your life. May it be the case that we hear these words of scripture, realizing that this child, this one who is born to us, who is the Prince of Peace, that he is my Prince of Peace. He is my Prince of Peace. Come now, let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall be come as wool. That's the promise. That's the promise. What a wonderful promise! What it's all about. Let's pray. Our gracious God and Heavenly Father, how we do pray that this child, who is a cause of so much joy, would be a cause of great rejoicing even in our own hearts. May it be that we would grow to know and to love this child, even if we are just beginning to scratch the surface and we are beginning to know a little bit about him. May we know more about Christ in the year ahead. And may it be that we would grow to love him and to serve him, that we might dwell with him for all eternity. We ask this, O Lord, in Jesus' name.